Welcome to the Six Figure Practice Podcast. I'm Sasha Raskin, and I'm the founder of the Six Figure Practice, which is a private practice accelerator program, a business school for helpers just like you, and a community for helpers such as counselors and coaches who are building their private practice. I'm a counselor and a coach, and my mission is to help helpers thrive while changing their clients' lives for the better. If you're looking for inspiring stories of helpers who build a successful private practice already, if you'd like to discover how to create your own perfect clients, if you're wondering what are the marketing strategies you need to be using, and most importantly, how to combine helping others and thriving yourself, you will find all of this and more in this podcast together with many free resources on our website at thesixfigurepractice.com T-H-E, the number six, figurepractice.com And if you'd like to brainstorm together how to grow your private practice on your own or by joining our accelerator program, simply sign up for a free consultation call on our website. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Sasha. I am super excited to talk to you. Kind of like with, with what I just said before we started the call, I'm excited to have this call with you because uh, you step out of the comfort zone of therapists uh, so much in terms of uh, there is so many other ways, additional ways you can help uh, beyond just one-on-one uh, sessions with clients, which I think is like a great uh, combination of both you uh, creating a bigger positive impact on the world and maximizing your time and also good for the business so uh, they can work together. So maybe a good place to start would be if you can tell uh, a little bit about uh, what do you do and who do you help and how. Okay. So I'm an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. I trained in Denver, Colorado, which is how I met you, Sasha. Yeah. And uh, it was a great place to train. There were so many great resources there. I now live in Reno, Nevada, which I also love it here. Um, mm. I started a private practice in Denver and, you know, I started it right out of grad school, um, which is kind of unusual. A lot of states don't let you start your own practice until you're licensed. And in Colorado, that's not the case. I it's actually, a happy place to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I really honestly, I think um, uh, community uh, agency work is fantastic and there's an important place for that. But I realized pretty quickly that I that was not the place for me. And so I was really grateful to live in a state where I could start a private practice right out of the gate. Um, and also personally, it worked better with my um, with my lifestyle, with my husband and being able to see each other and things like that while he was in residency and uh, a nine to five job with a strict schedule really would have hindered my personal life quite a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was really grateful to have that opportunity and, but I was super nervous. So that's actually where um, Sasha and Michelle got together and helped me build my website and help build confidence and did headshots and all of that. Cause I was super nervous to get started. And um and it really wasn't as hard for me as I mm. thought it was going to be. So yeah. that was really unexpected. And, you know, especially because it's the market I was always told is so saturated in mm-hmm. Colorado that it would be hard to start. But what I found was because I had a really specific niche um, in the EMDR world that and because I did my training there, I think I was I was more well known in some different circles already that it was much easier to get that started than I expected. So. Um, so I started a private practice full-time and I still have a part-time private practice now, but I realized pretty quickly after, after doing full-time private practice that, um, for me personally, full-time private practice was going to be a little, it it wasn't the right thing for me. Um, I really realized part-time private practice was going to be best for me. I think for two different reasons, one, uh, because I'm very introverted And it's really hard for me to be giving to people all day long and then to still have anything remaining for my personal life and my family life at the end of the day Mm. for two years or so as I did that, it was fine. 
Um, but I realized pretty quickly long-term that that was not going to be a sustainable option for me personally. Mm. So I was already thinking, oh crap, I just did all this training. Like I started a private practice and now what else, what else am I going to do? You know? Mm. So that was happening. At the same time, I also have a background in nonprofit management and I naturally have kind of a systemic view of um, helping people. And yeah. so as much as there's there a lot of fulfillment that I found in the one-on-one -on -one intervention, because you get this individual feedback, right? They come back, they're feeling better. They're seeing changes in their life and mm -hmm. MDR works so quickly. I mean, symptoms reduce so quickly. You get really fast feedback oftentimes from clients feeling better and that's really fulfilling. And there's so much going on in the world. And I felt like in my little private practice, I wanted to scale it. I wanted yes. to the work that we were doing in the, in my private practice. And I wanted to scale it in a humanitarian type effort. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened is I, I went to a training uh, during that time by Dr. Ignacio Herrero, um, who's in Mexico city. He's an EMDR therapist and he created um, EMDR in a group setting called the EMDR integrative group treatment protocol. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went to his training and I uh, got this vision of just like, you can serve hundreds of people at one time with this intervention in a very short period of time. You can mm -hmm. serve hundreds of people in two days and get significant results. And I just thought the scalability of that in a humanitarian world or in, you know, I'm thinking community agencies that have wait lists of one in 200 people, right? Uh -huh. Yep. services, you know, what do we do with those people? Mm -hmm. So I went to his training and I connected with him. And I also read an article by a man named Rolf Carrier called Scaling Up What Works. And mm. it's all about using uh, Ignacio Herrero's protocol, the IGTP, the EMDR IGTP, um, in a humanitarian setting, because his argument in this um, published article was that um, and, and he worked in, at UNICEF and at the United Nations, and, and he's an economist and a humanitarian worker throughout his career, not a mental health therapist. But his argument was that on a systemic kind of root level, um, a lot of the humanitarian issues that we have are kind of like passed down trauma, or it's trauma through poverty, or it's trauma through other things that then kind of manifest in different ways that create other issues over time. Yes. And so if we could get to the root issue of the trauma, then mm -hmm. that would help enhance all of the other humanitarian work that we do, mm -hmm. um, some of which is helping with the symptoms of the root cause, right? And so that's where I got my inspiration to create um, my other business, which is called Scaling Up, was based off of that article and Dr. Herrero's protocols. Mm. That's wonderful. Uh, so... If you think about the whole journey, how long have you been in private practice in total? Um, I think for four years, four mm -hmm. to five years. Yeah. So Not you long. moved from the one-to-one -to, -one to the from to the one-to-many pretty quickly, right? It doesn't need yeah, to be... Probably within about two years. Yeah. And I think that's such a good example. If it feels right, you don't need to wait like... You know, uh, five years to do agency work and 10 years of doing one-on-one -on -one, uh, yeah. private practice and then maybe thinking about doing something. I wasn't even licensed yet. So mm -hmm. the first two years of my full-time private practice, I wasn't licensed yet. I was in supervision, getting licensed. And then by the time I launched Scaling Up, I had just become licensed. So I was about two years in. Um, and Scaling Up does a variety of different training programs, research, and humanitarian work. Yeah. That's wonderful. So moving back uh, kind of to the beginning, you said it was pretty scary, which later on turned out to be less scary than, uh, le less difficult than uh, yeah. you thought it would kind of reminds me. I think it was Arthur Conan Doyle that said, oh, my life, I was scared of things that never happened. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, what was the most scary thing for you? Well, I think for me at the time, I had never started a business before um, mm -hmm. and I wasn't licensed yet. I was just, when I started my private practice, I was just graduating from my master's program. 
And so I just, and I was just barely trained in EMDR. And even though I had great consultation and supervision and support around me, I just felt, and I was young, you know, I mean, I'm still young, I'm 35. So I was about 30 at the time. So I was young. I also look very young um, for my age. And so I had all these components going on that just kind of internally told me, like, who do you think you are that you think you can do this? I um, am too, right? Fill the blank. I am too young. I'm too new. I have, right? Yeah, I don't have enough to offer. I should have a PhD or I should have more experience or I should whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And, yeah. but I, I had good people around me, you being one of them who were just like, you can do this. Mm. You can do this. And they kept telling me that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take their word for it. They're seeing uh-huh. something in me that I don't see right now. Yeah. It's the fake it till you make it kind of. Yes. Yeah. You know, Fills and, jump into the water and then. Yes. Swim. And honestly, there was a moment, um, you know, and I won't give names, you know, regarding this, but mm-hmm. there was a moment where I was, I was networking. I was meeting with different therapists and in Colorado and I was getting coffee with somebody, a perfectly nice therapist, but something about our interaction just kind of made me wonder how competent she was or how business savvy she was, or it just kind of gave me pause. And when she said that she had a wait list in her private practice, I was like, huh? Like, mm. you don't, if she can do I it, like I can do it. You mean, if she can do it, I uh, can do it. Yeah. That was the yeah. exact thought that I had. I was like, huh, this person can build a private practice with a wait list. Mm-hmm. And I think I could do it better than this person. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that was the moment that I changed the inner voice and decided I'm going to choose confidence and I'm just going to jump in and see what happens. Yeah. That's huge. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, kind of the the moment when you drew the line in the sand in terms of changing the the framework. Uh, I can do it and I can do it even some healthy competition sounds like. Yeah, I think there was like a healthy level of confidence that I found in that moment mm-hmm. and that I chose to grab onto um, and also grabbing onto the words of other people, you know, yeah. choosing to listen to other people that said that I could do it. Mm-hmm and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself and, yeah. and just doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to do it either way. I yeah. just kind of had to find some confidence along the way so that I wasn't just torturing myself the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's so important to surround, at least for me to surround myself with people who done things that feel impossible to me that I would like to do, but they're real living, breathing proof that this is possible. Right now I'm a, a group uh, coaching program as, as a participant. And there are like people there who are creating huge, huge positive impact on the world, which also translates into money. And they're making uh, some of them hundreds of thousands per month in right. uh, from their products. And it's like, oh, this is doable. Right. right. But, and I, uh, one of my coaches says, uh, you, if you're the most interesting person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. Sounds- I remember my husband said that to me one time. He uh-huh. was like, I don't think the circles that you're spending time with are challenging you enough. You're the challenger. Uh-huh. He was like, you're the challenger in these circles and you need to not be the challenger. Mm-hmm. You need to be challenged. And I was like, whoa, you're yeah. right. That's humbling, you know, yeah. and then how do I find those people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes they already exist in your life. Sometimes you find them through networking groups and stuff, but sometimes you have to pay for it, you know? And I think that's something I learned too, is that investing money into yourself to find those mentorships and those leaders mm-hmm. um, and those communities to guide you who are already ahead of where you want to be um, is a really valuable investment that I think a lot of therapists hesitate to do. Yeah. And it goes, uh, it goes around, right? If I'm as a therapist, don't have a therapist myself, or I'm as a coach, don't have a coach myself. And then because I'm saving money, quote unquote, uh, uh, and then I talk to potential clients and uh, expect them to invest in me, right? It's like, ah, yeah. uh, something feels weird here, right? Yes, and, exactly. And it comes across too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So there is a level of fake it till you make it that goes yeah. on. Very intimidating. I'm actually curious about what did what did feel off about that person, the therapist, in terms of her business savvy. 
Mm. Um, I think it was things like not having an LLC, for example, you know, mm. like some basic structure or not yes. having an accountant or not mm. having um, some basic things like that, or like still using paper documents mm-hmm. you know, instead of investing in an online system. You know, not that any of those things are bad, but yeah. I think there are certain things that um, that people will do if they're kind of like staying up to date with the times and they're mm-hmm. streamlining their services and like any advice that you would get from a business coach, for example, or a professional in that field would be to do some of these different things that I had learned about that I was already mm-hmm. kind of on top of. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, and then I don't know what it was about our interaction. I think it was maybe something because we were both EMDR therapists. I think it might have been something about the way that she talked about EMDR or her clients mm-hmm. or something that I was just kind of like, something just felt kind of off. Like I was a new therapist and I already knew like some things about EMDR that she yes. didn't get, or I was doing things that she wasn't doing. And I was like, but you have a wait list. And mm-hmm. I just wonder how good of an EMDR therapist you yes. are saying, mm-hmm. but clients don't know the difference is the thing mm-hmm. yeah. for better yeah. or worse. You know, they don't necessarily know what to expect. You're the one that mm-hmm. has power in the room. So that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily translate, you know? So I was just like, so how does she have a wait list? Like, where does that come from? How does that mm-hmm happen, you know, and it just made me feel like you don't have to have it all together in order to be successful in Mm -hmm. your business. Not to say this person's clients weren't benefiting. They probably were. And I hope that Mm -hmm. they were, but something about seeing that helped me realize like, I'm pretty on top of things and Mm -hmm. I feel really competent in my EMDR skills. And so if she can do it, Mm -hmm. I think I can do it if I believe in myself. Yeah. Sounds like you, what you didn't so see uh, is uh, treating her business as a business. The, it it yeah. was kind of like a hobby, right? And yeah, yeah. Which is a lot of therapists do that, you know? Totally. Because I think what's interesting about the mental health field that can be really psychologically tricky for therapists is mm-hmm. there is there can be sometimes this martyr mentality. Exactly. Of, I'm supposed to not make money. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to give all this free pro bono service to help people. And if I don't, that mm-hmm. means something about me. And there's a lot of shaming yeah. Yeah. Um, in the community around wanting to make money. And I think, I think that was something I really wanted to stay away from mm-hmm. as a therapist. Cause I've worked in the nonprofit field and I love nonprofit work and I have my master's in nonprofit management. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to go in that direction and went the therapy route instead And one of my takeaways from that background was that I actually didn't want to start a nonprofit. I wanted Mm -hmm. to start a business. Um, I didn't want to write grants and get donations and stuff for my work. I wanted to get paid for my work. And I wanted to find my own way of making compensation that felt good for me Mm -hmm. um, and also help people, right? I love to do humanitarian work and I do Mm -hmm. a lot of it in different ways that don't look like a sliding fee or free um, therapy, Mm -hmm. but it translates in other work that I do, like going to refugee camps and working for free and paying for my own travel and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And some sliding scale in our training programs and things like that. So for me, I kind of found what that sweet spot was that doesn't sacrifice my personal life in a way that didn't feel right and congruent Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, I think that's a very personal decision that people need to make. Mm-hmm. Sounds like uh, what you found in your uh, practices, if we think uh, Venn diagrams, two, uh, two circles that don't completely overlap, but there is some overlap, one of them being ethical and helpful and knowing what you're doing, the other one uh, being business savvy, having a successful business. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can, sometimes you don't have overlaps, right? It's not an how sustainable it is if you know how to help and are really ethical, but mm-hmm. you're living paycheck to paycheck and all burnt out. Right. Uh, and, right. and yeah, and the other extremes, like you're a really good business person, but you, you're not really efficient enough in terms of how you help, right? The EMDR example that you uh, gave. And what if there is a possibility of an overlap? having a successful business where you get to help people and 
have uh, a nice, uh, comfortable lifestyle. And it sounds like what you did, the change from the private practice one-to-one to one-to-many mm-hmm. one was around your lifestyle, right? So what's the lifestyle I want to have versus mm-hmm. what's prescribed to what is quote-unquote possible in right. private practice or for counselors in general. Right. Oh, yeah. And the burnout in this field is so high for obvious reasons. I mean, the amount of effort energy that we put into helping other people. You know, one of the things I thought about in my private practice is I was like, I'm in a good stage of life right now. Um, I don't have children. I'm not sick. I'm not caring for an elderly parent, you know, Um, and I have a lot to give right now, but as life would have it, that's not always going to be the case. You know, Mm -hmm. something's happen. And I'm not going to be able to show up. I know I, I personally will not be able to show up to the therapy room and be able to give it what I'm giving it now. And Mm -hmm. that's just the way it's going to be. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but there will be a season of life where that will happen at some point. Yeah. And what will that mean for the security that I feel in my business? How am I going to pay my bills if that happens? Um, And I can't see clients for whatever reason, maybe I'm in a grief stage of life or whatever. I mean, it could be anything. Um, so how do I keep making money during that time? Mm -hmm. And for me, having a comfortable lifestyle helps reduce that burnout and actually gives me more. It allows me to give more in whatever generous ways that I want to, that feel good for me, um, in a more sustainable long-term way. Yes. Yes. So making sure that it's all, um, in harmony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to go back f- just for a second uh, because you said something so important about that person not having LLC or uh, and all those other things. Many times when I speak to uh, counselors or coaches who are struggling, uh, they'll get like really uh, hyper-focused on how do I find clients, right? As, mm-hmm. as if this is the only thing they should be focused on. And... Mm, I think what you said uh, kind of uh, zooms out into what are the all the uh, parts of the business that uh, need to be there. Um, and I'm, I'm starting this new uh, free online uh, workshop, uh, the three pillars of the private practice, thriving private practice, talking about all three of them. It's not just the marketing, right? And like getting finding, uh, having clients find you is just a small part of it, but it's also the sales part, right? How do people actually hire you? And the third one is the, uh, operations, right? Mm -hmm. How do you have a good foundation for your business in terms of you really know how to help and you have all the logistics in place. I just finished a a coaching call with my client, uh, a therapist who's overwhelmed with paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And it's like, uh, our goal is like, how, how do we take this and automate it and streamline it so that you would sp- be spending just a few minutes a day. Yes. On all this. Is like my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. Say more about that. That though, that probably is a, a strange word for some of the people who are listening. Yes. Yeah. I joined a business coaching program that was all about automation and it mm-hmm. was a entirely new world to me. Like I was just so overwhelmed, definitely technologically challenged. I'm very organized by nature, but not tech savvy by nature. And so there was definitely a big overwhelming learning curve for me. But I remember in grad school, when I was starting my private practice, I was talking to one of my professors about it because I was trying to decide if I was going to get on insurance panels or if I was just going to do private pay. Uh And one of the things that he mentioned is he said, you know, you need to think about the amount of time that you're putting into each case versus the amount of money you're making. So if you're making, let's say $100 or $80 in reimbursement for insurance, but you're also doing, so you're seeing the client for an hour and then you're also doing an hour of paperwork. Mm-hmm. You're actually making $40 an hour. On Very that, good point. Right? And so he's like, the reason I like, he said with his private practice, he said he could charge a higher amount. He doesn't have to deal with the paperwork. And so I did that. I did 50 minute sessions. I think I started out at $100 an hour. Then I increased to 130 and now I do 150. Mm-hmm. And because that was what I was comfortable with kind of growing at the time, which I yep. also think important to do what feels good to you at the time. So I had to kind of grow into a higher amount over over the year. Yep. Um, 
And I do 50 minute sessions because then I have 10 minutes to go to the bathroom, have a snack. Mm -hmm. I charge people, I put their new appointment in and I write my case note all in those 10 minutes. And then I see my next client. So when I would see back-to-back clients, I would finish five to eight people in a row and I would be done. All my paperwork would be done. Everything would be done for the day. All the charges are through Mm -hmm. everything. Um, All the intake paperwork gets submitted in advance. So they don't do paper charts or anything. It all Mm -hmm. gets emailed to them. They sign everything, their credit cards in the system all before they show up on their first appointment. And there's a lot of questions that I ask in the intake. So I know a lot about their history. I've asked Mm -hmm. a lot of really important questions, all of which I'm reading, you know, before they walk in the door. So we already have kind of a leg up when we get started. So we can kind of jump in Mm -hmm. pretty quickly to the deeper work and all the paperwork is just taken care of. Mm -hmm. Could you say more about the uh, decision to go into business coaching, especially as a a quote unquote younger therapist when you don't have a lot of cash flow? Yes. Uh, So the areas that I invested in initially, when I first opened my private practice, my husband and I set aside a certain amount of money that I would be investing in the business that Mm -hmm. I needed to pay back to us that we both felt comfortable with. And initially I invested the money in you um, Mm -hmm. to help me build a website and do my headshots and all that stuff and kind of get get things going. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think initially I had about three or $4,000 that I initially invested in you in the down payment for my office space and the furniture Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I found somebody to share the office space with. So that really helped cut the cost a lot. Um, That was really helpful financially. Um, And I put myself on psychology today. I announced it to my network and I started getting a couple of clients kind of right Mm. off the bat, not that many, but enough to be able to cover the costs, you know? And then I think within maybe six months or something, I was able to pay myself back for the investment. And then after that, I tried to put together, um, like set aside a certain amount of money I was saving for myself, uh, paying myself taxes and then, um, uh, investment in other programs, because I wanted to kind of have that aside so that when I decided to invest in a coaching program or something, I kind of felt free to spend it. So I do that in my personal life too. So my husband Mm -hmm. and I have fun accounts, right? Uh So we have a certain amount of money each month we put into our fun accounts and we can each spend that on whatever we want. If I want to go get a massage, if I want to buy some clothes that I don't need or whatever, go on a trip with some friends, it comes out of my fun money and my husband doesn't care what Uh I spend it on. And I feel free to spend it because Mm -hmm. that it's already sitting there. I can physically see it and that's what it's Mm -hmm. there for. So for me, that's kind of how I mentally play those tricks on myself Mm-hmm. to feel comfortable spending the money. Yeah. Um, the first coaching program I invested in, I actually found it was a Facebook ad that kept popping up. Her name is Grace mm-hmm. Lever. She's an Australian coach. Speaking of automation, right? Yeah. Do you uh-huh. know Grace? Yeah, exactly. Speaking of automation. And I was always very skeptical of things that came up on Facebook ads, but she kept popping up and something about her. She offered a free webinar. I went to it and I was so skeptical the whole time. It was an expensive program. I think I dropped a thousand dollars or something after the webinar. Mm -hmm. And what hooked me about her program is she was like, after 30 days, if you don't like it, I'll give you a hundred percent of your money back. All you have to do is let me know. So I was Uh like, okay, that's pretty risk-free. Like if it's worth it. Um, and you know, I I've made way more than a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars back in that coaching program. Um, and so it was obviously well worth the investment, but um, that was the first coaching program I was in. I was in it for several years. Uh, yeah. Very valuable. And, and it's interesting uh, to this moment of taking the risk, right? It's like uh, drawing a line in the sand. And why would you invest in the business coaching and not uh, another uh, counseling training? I, that's, right. that's a big question. And uh, because I noticed... Uh, that we have, uh, when I have conversations with uh, potential participants in the six-figure practice program, the private practice accelerator, many, like it's a part of the world to invest in counseling training. It's like n- mm-hmm. not a biggie, right? And kind of expected. But uh, for some, it's like a revolutionary idea to invest in something that they actually don't know anything about, which is business. And I find it curious. Uh how did you took uh, 
how did you make the decision to uh, go for it instead of maybe learning another very helpful uh, like EMDR training, for example? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I invested in business coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time I had already invested in EMDR training. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, the way that I ended up doing the EMDR training is kind of similar actually, um, to where you're getting at. So I was in grad school and, um, in my, I loved my grad school program. It was the MSW program at DU mm-hmm. and it was a great program, you know, not perfect by any means, but it suited me. And I, I got a lot from it, but during my second year internship, I was realizing that trauma was walking in my door constantly, you know, every, all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was validating and reflecting and validating and reflecting and using all the few skills that I had in grad Uh school to try to help these people. And I just found myself. Nothing would change. Yeah. I I was like, there's gotta be more that I can Mm -hmm. offer people. And I just wasn't getting enough of enough skills and and trauma training in my program to know what else to do. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of the training is very theoretical in, Mm -hmm. in grad school. And I don't know about a PhD program because I haven't done that yet, but um, that's where I think those trainings for specific interventions outside of grad school are so valuable. Um, I did emotionally focused therapy training at that time. Cause I was working with couples mm-hmm. and um, the attachment understanding and interventions was so valuable at the time when I was working yeah. with couples. Um, and then the EMDR training also was so valuable. I mean, now if trauma walks in my door, I'm like, I know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what outcomes you're going to get. This is what's going to happen. Uh, the confidence that I have now in working with that is so high and I have a specialty area. So people come to me specifically for that. So Mm -hmm. if people come to me, I know exactly what I'm going to do for them. They know exactly what I'm going to do for them. This is how it's going to work. And this is roughly maybe how long you're going to be in therapy with me, depending on your goals. You know, it's, it's, it's very clear to me. Um, Very highly specialized. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pretty groundbreaking idea, right? Quote unquote. Uh, Study what you don't know versus more of what you do know, right? And I think it's a good trajectory. Uh, You got out of grad school. It's all coaching training. If it's good and you, you know, uh, you got a a few like tens of hundreds hours of uh, of training, you're good enough, right? And Build your practice, invest in your business training so you can get that initial cash flow and then go and invest in guiltlessly in uh, any clothing or uh, trips mm-hmm. or that uh, additional training to be more efficient as yeah. a helper, right? Oh, but yeah. many people have it like the other way around, right? I'm yeah. going to invest in all this clinical training, but where are the clients that I'm yeah. supposed to help, right? Exactly. Both are so valuable, you know, and you're, you need to invest in yourself and other people. You know, if you're only investing in others, you're only going to make so much of an impact and you're only going to be able to sustain it for so long. So -hmm. investing in the business actually helps other people and you, because part of what I learned about marketing, which was something I used to be very uncomfortable with and still am in, in new marketing areas, Mm -hmm. but one thing that stuck with me is, you know, I learned this from my business coach was um, those that do need what you offer need to be able to find you. Yeah. And they find you because you market yourself and you make yeah. yourself available, which is exactly mm-hmm. what happened with my business coach, right? Had she not had that Facebook group, she lives in Australia. How the heck I wasn't going to randomly find her website. Exactly. Uh-huh. You know, and click on it and be like, yes, this is a good idea for me. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was really helpful mindset change for me. And I think the more niche I became in my practice, I remember people saying, uh, and this was one thing that you used to say to me when I was building my website and stuff is like, you need to be kind of niche, you know, you need Mm -hmm. to have your area so that when people are coming to find you, they're coming because they know exactly what you're going to offer them and they Mm -hmm. want what you have. And then you give that to them. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was hard to kind of narrow it down initially. And over time, I've become way more narrow. And now I'm super niche. Mm -hmm. And the more niche I've become, the more successful I've become. Yeah. And you kind of became the person with uh, group EMDR training, right? Right. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Uh, could you share a little more about that journey of moving from one to one to one to many that you did? And if someone that is listening either wants to do it right now or just wants to have a vision of what's possible in the future for them, uh, how did you make that transition? Mm. Yeah. So um, that was something I learned in my business coaching. And mm -hmm. I think in some ways that was some of the value in automation. So I learned about things like membership programs, online communities, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, and one thing I realized is, you know, therapy is incredibly valuable, but it's not the only way to experience healing, right? Oh, it's not. It's not. Uh -huh. So it's one of many ways in which people can experience mm -hmm. healing. And there are many ways in which you can create programs online, in person, retreats online, in person, you know, all sorts of different ideas in which you can help a lot of people mm -hmm. um, and provide a lot of value for them in addition to therapy. And so initially I thought to myself, well, maybe I can scale up group EMDR in a way you know, you can't, you actually can do it online now, but at the time you could not do it online. It was only in mm -hmm. person. So it was trying to find ways to logistically do that, um, which ended up not really becoming my focus. Um, but that was kind of where my mind went initially. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I had some ideas that were great at first that then kind of fizzled out or weren't as successful. So mm -hmm. that's part of the entrepreneurship journey too, that I've had to embrace is you kind of launch something and see how it goes and yeah. it's either a hit and you scale it or it's not. And you mm -hmm. try the next thing and yeah. you just learn from your experience. So that was initially my mindset was how do I make these, this information and skill set more accessible to people through a membership program of some mm -hmm. kind. Um, and then my my scaling ended up being a lot more about trainings for therapists and communities mm. for therapists, advanced trainings for them um, than it did for clients. So now my focus is actually more with therapists than it is with clients. Mm. How, how did the narrowing of the niche uh, happen? Many, mm -hmm. I, I know that many counselors and coaches get stuck when they plan it in their heads. Right? Mm -hmm. It needs to be perfect niche. And I need to figure it out before I actually go and do it. Yeah. You know, I didn't have it figured out initially. So when I first opened my practice, when you were helping me, we created a website that was focused on um, individuals and couples and mm -hmm. families. And I did all age ranges like kids up through adults because I enjoyed all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I did EMDR and I worked with Spanish speaking clients. Right. So I kind of had all these different. And with families of doctors, right. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I specialize with some, with some uh, people in the medical field too. And so I kind of, at the time, and you guys, you know, graciously kind of helped me figure out how to do that. Mm. But what I found over time was that of all of those areas, the area that I was the most passionate about and excited about was one in particular. So I mm -hmm. still love all of those other things. Mm -hmm. And I don't love them as much as I love EMDR and specifically the, mm -hmm. the protocols that I do with um, Dr. Herrero. And part of that is because for me, my life mission work is, is way more around humanitarian work, um, disaster response, crisis intervention. And so I travel around the world and work with um, NGOs and nonprofits and I go to refugee camps and I mm -hmm respond after natural man-made disasters and help therapists be able to provide support for their communities because I have that skill set. Wow. Um, and that is what I'm the most passionate about. So mm -hmm. over time, I kind of naturally just started doing more and more in that area and yeah. kind of allowed the others to fizzle out. So I still mm -hmm. see a few couples. I still do some, some of those other areas, but I don't market myself that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of two things. One in uh, Steve Chandler's book, uh, Time Warrior. One of the quotes he brings is, uh, I don't remember who said that, but it, it's a good one. Uh, find what makes you feel alive and then find a way to make a living of it. Mm -hmm. And the other piece is this uh, research about finding your purpose. I think it was uh, Princeton that came out uh, the beginning of 2020 uh, about this illusion that you can think your purpose into uh, reality. 
and how uh, futile this uh, uh, experiment is, right? It's more about putting yourself in different situations where you can have the actual living experience of does it feel good, Doesn't uh, what part of it doesn't, and how can I pivot, right? So you launch the website, It you had a few different niches there, and then from having the experience of working with uh, many clients, it's like, oh, okay, I think I got it, right? It's this thing that makes me feel most alive. Yeah. And somebody, my mentor, Dr. Herrero calls it fire in the belly. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. You know, I had, I started kind of paying attention to my passions really specifically. And I remember sitting in a coffee shop, reading the article by Rolf Carrier, scaling up what works. And as I read that article, I just got that fire in the belly. I was Mm. like, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, it was this this moment that I remember Mm. exactly where I was in Denver at that time. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I wasn't that connected with Dr. Herrero. Actually, I wasn't connected at all with Dr. Herrero at the time. Um, I just knew that that's what I needed to do. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And so Mm. I always, every decision I made had that in mind. So even if I chose the wrong thing or I didn't know what I was doing, I always was moving in that direction. So a couple of the things that I did was like, I made a website. So after I worked with you, I kind of mm-hmm. built confidence in building my own website. I was yeah. like, oh, Wix is easy. I can figure this out. Yeah. And it's not the prettiest thing, uh-huh. but it's, it works, you know? And so I it was so interesting to see it transforming. I would f- kind of uh, keep looking at it. It's like, oh, it's like uh, version 2.0, 2, uh, 3.0. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It was like not, I was so proud of it. And uh-huh. it was like, now I look back, I'm like, oh gosh, that was not the prettiest thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen. But you know what? What came from that? Yeah. This experience of like, as I did start get, getting to know Dr. Herrero, who I work closely with now. When I built the website and I sent it to him, he kind of responded with like, oh, our missions are aligned, yeah. you know? And he was able to see how serious I was about it, not just hear me talk about it, mm-hmm. right? Because he, one of the things he shares in, in the story of how, how we started working together mm-hmm. is uh, that all the time people in his trainings um, talk to him afterwards and they're mm-hmm. like, I do this work and I would love to do this, this, and this. And he's like, great, here's my email. And then he never hears from them. And he, he's like, I'm shocked how many times I give out my email and I don't hear from people. Yeah. Just show up. Yep. And that's what I did. I emailed him. We FaceTimed. We, we emailed back and forth. I showed him my website. He invited me to do a research project in Mexico and, you know, it just went on and on. And part of it was just building the website and putting Mm -hmm. it out there. And what I found, I find a lot of people tell me you're really good networker. And I don't exactly know what that means because I don't really see myself that way. I see myself mm-hmm. more as if somebody gives me their email, I'm going to follow up with them. If yeah. they email me, I'm going to follow up with them and I'm going to ask mm-hmm. them questions. And if I think about them and this article, then I'm going to send it to them and ask how they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to follow up. If somebody gives me the name of somebody and is like, you should contact this person because they would be really interested in what they're doing. I'm going to call them or I'm going to mm-hmm. email them and I'm going to follow up. And if that's what you call networking, then I guess I am good at that. But to me, that's not very difficult. Like, it's like you just being a up. good human being, right? It's like you just show being up, interested you know? in others. And yeah, uh, even if you don't know what you're doing, you just yeah, show not up. ghosting anyone, right? Yeah. All the good stuff. Exactly. And just see what happens. You know, sometimes they don't respond. Sometimes the door doesn't open. But more often than not, the door opens and I just walk right through it. And I don't know what's on the other side, but Mm -hmm. I don't know unless I choose to walk through. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly surprised, pleasantly surprised by what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big shift that uh, happens for the uh, participants in my program is when they figure out that marketing is not a different beast. It's just, and networking is just having conversations, which is one, something that we do naturally as human beings, two, something that they actually been trained in, having conversations, right? It's like, doesn't really matter if you do it through emails uh, with people you want to collaborate with, if you do it through a compelling text on your website and sounds like it, uh, what, uh, what really captured his attention was the content, right? The text that uh, you put on the, 
website and were like kind of vulnerable and spoke uh, honestly about your values, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the perfect website or the most amazing design. Yeah, exactly. Right? Obviously, it was good enough to keep him, to get him started reading, right? But exactly. what, yeah, it's wonderful. Got, got him interested and in like, what mm -hmm. is she up to? Mm -hmm. You know, still skeptical. He was very yeah. skeptical about me in the beginning, but enough that he was curious to check it out, you know, and see what is this girl up to? And should we mm -hmm. work together? Should we not? Do I just need to keep an eye on her? Is she weird? What's going on? Yeah, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, there was a moment in this process that I realized that giving myself permission to change my mind was really powerful because I don't always know exactly what I'm doing when I'm walking through the door or yeah. if I even want to walk through that door until I do it. Mm. And so, you know, I've started things that I've stopped or changed, or I built a website and then I changed it. And then I built mm -hmm. this program and then I changed it. Yeah. And initially that used to make me feel insecure. Like you can't make up your mind, you know, you built a private practice and now you're saying you don't want a full-time private practice. You mm -hmm. want something else in addition or whatever. And that's just kind of how I am. I've learned that sometimes that's just how the entrepreneur brain works and not yes. everybody's like that, but entrepreneurs are definitely like that. And I'm mm -hmm. an entrepreneur and, um, and I just had to embrace that, that mm -hmm. it doesn't mean any, I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it just means that sometimes I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to give myself permission to do that. Yeah. Well, it's the, having the flexibility is a part of, uh, being a good business owner, right? It's like thinking about all the hundreds of years that bridges would collapse because they were made out of material that was way too strong, right? Once they started, mm -hmm. well, in the Western world, once they started building them using flexible materials, they could, uh, you know, move with the wind and with the weight. Yes. It, it's okay to pivot. It's okay to change. I remember my uh, first website as a counselor was, all about uh, counseling with teenagers and then uh, working with uh, teenagers more because that's all I was comfortable doing, doing that work for a decade before uh, grad school. And at some point I'm like, oh my God, I'm both out of my mind with those one sentence answers they give me. I'm done. And <laughs> like, if I'm being very honest, right? Uh, can, teenagers can be tough. It's its own specialty. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm, I just removed it. And it was great for a decade for me, right? So don't get me wrong. But I removed it from my website. Done. Redone. Added more other yep. niches. I was, um, yeah. Same yep. thing with uh, removing individual counseling. I think yeah. it about half a year ago. It's like, I'm just interested in working in couples with mm -hmm. couples and there's always fear in that well more people are looking for individual therapy than couple therapy yeah. and yeah uh, and i'm full right so it's it's okay yeah oh yeah there's tons of people that want couples therapy and family therapy you know the other thing that was very empowering that i realized after i'd worked with you is that i can figure a lot of things out um more easily than I thought I could. So for example, at our, in, within scaling up, we created the scaling up school, mm -hmm. which is an affordable program to help people who are starting their practice to build all of it on their own, right? Yes. You can build a website on your own without any web building experience with the amount of tools that exist mm -hmm. and like templates that exist. It's really not that difficult, mm -hmm. um, to create a simple website. You know, so if you don't want to spend thousands of dollars hiring people to build a website for you, things like that. Like one thing I never wanted was to hire somebody to do something for me and then me not be able to update it, change it, fix it myself. Yeah. That you want the freedom. Yeah. I was afraid that every time I needed something, I'd have to drop a hundred dollars to somebody and wait three weeks for them to have time to fix this one mm -hmm. little thing on my website. I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. And, um, and so we built this program called the scaling up school where we actually walk people through, like, mm -hmm. here's a 15 minute video on how to create your, your website. So literally within a day, you could kind of walk through this stuff. You could build your, um, profile online. So you're launched, you can put, you know, your website, this is how you do all the paperwork online and just streamline everything in a yeah. super simple way just to get off the ground. And then once mm -hmm. you're making some money and you feel more financially comfortable, you can upgrade from exactly. there or you can change things, but you don't need to like go into massive credit card debt. It's not rocket science. You started. do need to learn it, right? And it right. would be easier to learn it, uh, for example, from you than to do, you know, 
put the time and the effort and yep. trial and error. Uh, yep. Yeah. And then you know how to do it. Like, you know, all exactly. the ins of your business. So even if mm-hmm. you choose to hire somebody down the road to upgrade and do it better than you did, you still know how to do it. Exactly. And right. Really empowering. Yeah. If uh, people who are listening to us right now want to find you, how do they do that? The scaling up and also the MDR training that you're doing? Yep. We have a couple of websites. So the EMDR training that we're doing can be found at scalingupemdr.com. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn a little bit more about me and my private practice, you can go to kellysmythedent.com. Um, and then if you want to learn more about the Scaling Up School, you can go to scalingupschool.com. Wonderful. Uh, last two things. One uh, tip that you would like to share with people who are just starting the private practice. Mm. In a I sentence say, or two. I would say jump in. Find your support, whether it's something where like the scaling up school, where you're doing it on your own, whether it's a coaching program with Sasha or somebody else, find the support that you feel like you need and just jump in. Mm-hmm. Just you don't know if you can do something or not until you try and then give yourself permission to pivot and adapt along the way as you're learning. And as, as your needs change, you're a human yeah. being, mm-hmm. your needs, wants, and desires are going to change throughout. So mm-hmm. what you initially create is not necessarily going to stay the same the whole time, nor should it as yeah. you grow. And, change. Mm-hmm. So and different expect- stages in life too. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Expect it to change. You're not mm-hmm. locked into anything that you create. Good. And advice for people who already grew their private practice and thinking, well, what's my next adventure? Oh, yeah. Um, with that one, I think doing some deep work into finding that fire in the belly. Like mm. what, there might be a lot of things that you enjoy doing, mm-hmm. um, that you're interested in, but if there's one particular area of passion or interest right now in your life that really gets you going, even if it's something massively big, like I never thought I'd be traveling and getting paid to travel to refugee camps and travel, you know, to Paris and mm. Thailand and Mexico and all these amazing places, um, to do the work that I do. Never yeah. in a million years did I imagine that I would uh-huh. be offered that. And I have mm-hmm. before COVID. Um, now I'm at home all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, hopefully it's, different... it's going to change soon. Yeah. Hopefully that'll change soon. But mm-hmm. I, I never imagined that. And I never imagined that so quickly. And so just find that area of passion and go after the fire in the belly, whatever that is for you. And then just see what happens. Walk through some doors. Yeah, for sure. And which uh, is a good segue. I have a couple's therapy consultation call in a minute. Thank you so much. Speaking of fire in the belly. Yes, exactly. Kelly, thank you so much. And I'm so excited for uh, everything you're doing. This is such a great example for uh, therapists and coaches and educators of what you can achieve if, you know, if you're able to, if you're giving yourself the permission to try and fail. Excellent. Again and again. Thank you so much, Sasha.